Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Pow! What the fuck? Number UTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? Let's just get to the point. What the fuck, buddies? Look, I am moving towards this point. The next week or so is crazy. I know it's been crazy leading up to this point, but man, how are you? Okay, just relax, relax. I'm saying that to myself. Next week, my book comes out on Tuesday. My show, Marin, premieres on Friday. Uh, and I couldn't be more excited, stressed, freaked out, panicky, but quite honestly, a, a, a bit detached. Can you feel that? Can you feel detachment? Uh, I'll be at Moon Tower tonight and tomorrow. And I'm, I'm doing a live WTF. Uh, a huge one. A huge live WTF at Moon Tower. The 26th. So I'll be out there tonight. That's Thursday the 25th. I'm doing a short set somewhere. We're doing a premiere thing today too for uh, for the IFC show. We're going to show an episode at Moon Tower. But I'll do the live WTF tomorrow with every comic there. Jim Norton, Maria Bamford, Janine Garofalo, Bill Burr, I think, is coming, Dom Irera, Todd Berry, who I just saw is uh, starting his own podcast. It's going to be the biggest of the live shows. I should tell you this, too. Next week, we're going to be dropping three shows. Uh, next week, three big shows. On Monday, the 29th, Hank Azaria, which was an amazing conversation. On Wednesday, we're doing the live from Vancouver, where Margaret Cho talks about my cock for 10 minutes and on friday the third the day of my premiere huey lewis and i hang out so three shows next week look forward to that a lot of stuff i'm sorry it's it's been a little bit of promotional festival here on the show but i just got a lot of stuff going on and and i don't want to miss stuff because it seems like everything is sort of happening at once uh in these next couple of months like for instance after moon tower on saturday may 4th I'm going to be at the uh, Pabst Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, if you want to come out for that. And then I'm going to start a book tour promoting the book in May. I'll be at Powell's Books on May 12th uh, here in in Los Angeles on the 15th of May. I'll be at the Sabin Theater. Uh, Judd Apatow is going to sit with me and do a book event. I guess I'll read some. I'll talk to him some. We'll take some questions. That's going to be exciting. Uh, you can get links to all of these dates uh, at WTFPod.com and get the info on that. Also, for those of you who still want the free poster, we made more. And you can still pre-order. We made more posters. So if you pre-order the book, you can you can go ahead and email your receipt to attemptingnormal at randomhouse.com for your free poster. If you did that and you didn't get a free poster last week, do it again and we'll get you a poster. Deal? Deal. At ifc.com. Slash Marin, there is uh, all kinds of stuff. Yes, I'm going to be on the CBS Morning Show on Monday if you want to watch that. I'll let you know about that. All right, I'm overwhelmed. I apologize. All right, let me just try to pull it together. It's interesting what gets you through things. Practical advice. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm very grateful on some... Did I tell you who's going to be on the show today? Mark Schiff is on the show today. Mark Schiff... Uh, is of the generation of comics uh, with Larry Miller, Paul Reiser, uh, Seinfeld, Dennis Wolfberg, around that era 
in the late 70s uh, in New York City, maybe early 80s. Um, and everyone who talks about Mark Schiff said he was the funniest guy they ever saw in his life. And, and I've been wanting to get him on the show. He's kind of leveled off a bit. Uh, he's a spiritual dude, a religious dude. And, uh, you know, and it, it just was an inf- interesting chunk of time. He's one of these guys that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, but really among his peers was, uh, you know, the, one of the funniest guys you ever saw in your life. And I remember seeing him in college and thinking that. So that, that'll be up here in a minute. But I want to share my practical advice. that One of the gifts that you get from drug use is the ability to put things in perspective. I know this sounds unusual, but but it's helping me in a weird sense. There's some things you learn from drug use that uh, they stick with you. Let, let me try to, to clarify. I was in San Francisco a week or so ago, and I went to, uh, to a Chinese restaurant with my friend Jack Boulware. And people have been telling me, go to this Mission Chinese restaurant. It's really interesting. It's really good. I'm not a huge Asian food guy. But uh, but I, I enjoy good food, so I, I relented and we went to this place, Mission Chinese, and uh, they had kung pao pastrami. They had uh, what else do we eat? These these chicken wings that created a sensation in your mouth that I never never experienced before. They actually made your tongue buzz, uh, and they were deep fried. Then we had a dish that I believe was just cumin and lamb fat. Uh, we had that, and then they had these pieces of pork belly these tiki pork bellies that were just two slabs of pork bellies uh just i think they might have been deep fried too i don't know it came with a piece of pineapple i didn't know how to eat it other than to pick it up you pick up this big it was made probably three inch by four inch slab of pork belly you take a bite out of it and it was just warm gelled fat in between two crispy crusts so like a a a warm fat sandwich between just just crisp it was mind-blowing so you know i dump all of this stuff into my system and i i I was excited about it you know i I enjoy food i enjoy eating obviously you know i'm not on the diet right now that's clear given the two fucking pints of ice cream i ate last night this is how i'm celebrating people are saying hey look this is your time a little bit you know there's a lot of good things going on enjoy it all right well let me enjoy it by dumping as much garbage into my being as possible so i can enjoy that too let me see if i can amplify this slight buzz of self gratification and accomplishment by dumping things into my system that'll make me hate myself but enjoy the moment, just having it in my face, in my mouth, and going down my stomach. So, okay, so we get the pig's belly, the lamb fat, the uh, Kung Pao pastrami, the deep fried chicken wings that make your tongue hum, and I just shoved all this in my face. How, what does it have to do with drug use? Well, obviously, there's such a thing as a compulsive eating disorder. Fine. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we ate all that stuff. We got in the car. We, uh, we went and smoked a couple cigars. Uh, then we got back in the car. And my right hand just started tingling and then went numb. My right hand went numb. Now, I don't know if it's anxiety or if that much fat can have that quick of an effect. You know, uh, there's something clogged in my heart. Whatever could have been it. The thing that I learned from drug use is that when my hand went numb, my brain went, all right, just ride this out. All right, you're going to ride it out. It's going to peak out. You're going to arc. You're going to ride it out and it's going to go away. If it doesn't go away, then you go to the hospital. If your entire right side goes numb, your face falls, then you go to the hospital. But right now, all you can do is ride it out, wait for it to pass. 
All right. You know, just hang on. Just, uh, you know, the trails will stop. Eventually, this is, you know, this is not, this is just an effect of something. Ride it out. And I did. Now, some of you might argue, well, well, maybe, you know, it's not good for your hand to go numb. You're not at an age anymore where you can just ride things out. Perhaps you need some medical attention. Why? It hasn't happened again. I don't know if it's nerves or what, but any of the anxiety I'm feeling, there's a part of having had experience with drugs and being out of control where you realize like, well, this will probably pass. Whatever this bad shit is, whatever is going on, it'll probably pass. Oddly, it's something you learn being sober too. It's like, look, you know, it's not the end of the world. Feelings aren't facts. Well, yada, yada, fine. Write it out. So I'm writing it out. All right. And I'm very excited. It's a big week for me next week. And I wanted to share that stuff with you. All right. Yep. I can still feel my hand. I can feel it. Let's talk to Mark Schiff. Mark Schiff, one of the uh, credited by many comedians as one of the funniest fucking comedians alive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm introduced like that uh, to crowds, and it's actually very frightening. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they'll introduce me. They'll go, uh, coming up now, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, truly, uh, Jerry Seinfeld said that uh, he's truly one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah. And uh, Jerry himself said that if you can't get me, you have to get Mark Schiff, and he's here tonight for you, one of yeah. the funniest people in the world. Yeah. And then, uh, you Well, know. that's a lot of pressure when they, when they drag Seinfeld into the intro. Yeah. Then it's going to be problems. Yeah. No, but I mean, you start, you were that, of that generation, the comic strip, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, right? Larry Miller. Uh, yeah. all those guys were your contemporaries. George Wallace. George Wallace and, uh. Dennis Wolfberg. Wolfberg. Um, who's the guy that used to, Brogan. Jimmy Brogan. Jimmy Brogan. Uh, Mike McCarthy. Uh, Bill McCarthy. Bill McCarthy. Bill McCarthy. And uh, Scott Blakeman and it went Blakeman. on. Blakeman, uh, Gilbert Gottfried would come over uh, all the time, and uh, you just name it. So you started then. That puts you in the late seventies, seventy six. That was it. Yeah, you know the comic strip. I'll tell you what's funny about the comic strip is um, they were the least show business people of all. Yeah, the, the owners of the comic strip. Right. It was a guy who owned a, a bar in the Bronx. Yeah. A, a guy who owned a police thing, and uh, so. They didn't know people in show business at all. So one night at the comic strip, Steve Martin showed up. Yeah, in the height of his career. Right, and they turned him away at the uh, the gate. Who uh, is that guy? Yeah, they said uh, <laughs> he said to Steve Martin, "I'd like to see the show," and they said, "We have no more room." <laughs> and the the guy at the door had no idea who he was. <laughs> That's a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah, and all the comics who have been dying to be seen by somebody. Yeah. Uh, heard about this and we all wanted to like leave the club really i because in my mind i guess i'm a different kind of comic i'm like good good Go sorry away. regular people are sitting down enjoying sure. the show who can't do anything for these people right. that have been working for free for the last seven years <laughs> but wait so you think on some level that steve martin could have done something for you maybe no right but, but the idea but the idea you yeah. know if, if if steve martin uh, comes to the club and yeah. it's, it's more cachet sure and the like i having worked at the comic strip much later i mean it, it still exists it's been around a long time right and it was always uh the primary clubs i think in in new york was was catch a rising star and then like the comic strip was around at the same time but that was the other club and well, how about of, the improv the improv yeah the improv and catch a rising star and the, and the comic strip was like the third one right yeah the right. one where it, it didn't have the same uh 
hip factor. Not at all. It was yeah. completely unhip. Working class uh, club. The improv was in the uh, on the corner of uh, what was it? Rape and molest. Yes, right was, there. It was a right, really bad area. Right at, the at time. rape and molest. Yeah, it was a horrible. Yeah, now, oh. now it's just coffee and molest. You know, That's they, right. They've gotten rape out of Times Square. That's completely. right. They've they, they've taken the rape out of the R out of Times Square. <laughs> Times Square, <laughs> yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, John Lennon, yeah, uh, recorded his album on the Forty uh, Fourth Street, the, the block of the Improv, the night that he was shot. Is that true? Yes, it is. Yes, really. Yes, there was a recording studio right up the corner, closer to Eighth uh, Avenue. Well, I think the picture on the cover of one of the records is it Rock and Roll or one of the Lennon records? There's a well, there's a famous picture of him standing in front of the Improv because yeah, he must have recorded there all the time. I guess you're right on that block. There, yeah, right on that block. Yeah. Now, oddly, you, you, I remember seeing you when I was in college, and you were hilarious. And then later, years later, I met a guy who never shut up about you. His name is Andy Wayne. Oh, my God. Andy Wayne Houseman. Yes, I know. What does that do when I say that? Let's do some word association. Andy Wayne. Well, if my <laughs> balls weren't already shriveled at this age that I'm at now, they've just shriveled completely. To- yeah. Did I did I just bring something back? Yes, you did. It's uh, <laughs> not a good thing. I, I had worked it out of my system, and now it's all uh, it's all back again. The horror. It's like reliving a horrible car accident. Everyone was killed in. You just uh, brought it right back. <laughs> Andy, I had a very mixed relationship with. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of it was very good. When my father died. He was. Like the only person there, he was right alongside of me and and walked me through it. Yeah, and uh, and then on the other hand, he just completely was out of his mind. Yeah, he's out of his mind. Like I I bring I bring him up, and obviously no one's going to know who he is because he you know I met him, you know years after you know he was really doing much comedy, but he was he, it was always one of those things where. I met him and he's like, you know, I, I met him in a different context. I didn't right. meet him in, in comedy, but he told me like, you know, I'm a, I'm a comic. I'm a journeyman. You know, right. I'm in it for the, you know, I'm the a long haul. Yeah. A veteran of some kind. And it was one of the first times where like he knew you, he knew all the guys. Yeah. But he never really surfaced publicly, you know, as right. a comic. Uh, but, you know, there are those guys. Yeah, there are just so many of those guys that have all the stories, but you know, right. none of them are about... He did work, but not, you know, probably 10 times in his career. He was the first Jew I ever met with a tattoo. Oh, really? Yeah, I never met a Jew with a tattoo. He was he, the, your first badass Jew. Badass Jew, kick-ass Jew. It's important to meet those guys. He was like a Jewish mobster. Yeah. You know, if there... Uh, <laughs> there are. There are, and he certainly... He, he would protect me. He saw me as a little brother. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to beat me up or do something, he would actually... He'd look forward to that. Yeah, I could give him a name and he would He'd take, go take care, care of it. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it. But you don't want that hanging over you. It's interesting, though, about that the badass Jew thing because I had a, you know, when I was younger, <laughs> you know, Jews are, they, we have a certain thing in our head about, you know, what Jews are. Yeah. And uh, I was working at one of the last Jewish delis in uh, in Boston, in West Roxbury, the Jewish neighborhood. And these these people would come in and I, I think it's called Jew, Jewish exceptionalism. I think is is the myth, you know. But you know, I'm sitting at this bar at this deli, and these guys would come in. These old Jews. One of them was a cop. One of them was a plumber. And then you start to think like Jews are cops. Jews yeah, are plumbers. plumbers. And then yeah, then the guy, the big guy, comes in, and Shelley, the owner, says that's a, he's a contractor. I'm like, he builds houses. No, he works for the mob. And I'm like, right. well, what? But I don't know why we think that because the mob was, you know, at least a third Jewish. In its Absolutely. construction, you know. What's his name? The Jewish mobster that uh, Sean Penn plays here. Oh, I don't know which mobster he's playing. Mar- oh, Cohen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen. Yeah, Mickey Cohen. 
Wongi Zwilman in Jersey, uh, Bugsy Siegel. There was a, uh, there's a story called Jewish Mobsters. There's a book called Jewish Mobsters. And one story, you know, you're not allowed to, if you're a religious Jew, you're not allowed to drive on Shabbos. Right. You can't drive your car. But there was a hitman, a Jewish hitman, who would actually, he would kill people on Shabbos if he could walk there. <laughs> so, so killing wasn't considered work in his mind. Well, it's it was not considered work. It, it, it was, it a was, mitzvah. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You became religious. <clears throat> I've moved in that direction. Yeah, but when you grew up, well, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? What was that about? I grew up. Um, I grew up in New York. My parents were uh, not New religious at all. New York City, New York City, Bronx. You grew up in the Bronx. In the Bronx. How old are you now? Do you admit it? I, I'm going to admit it. I'm sixty. You're sixty. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, it makes me sad. You look good. It makes you sad. No. Uh, well, yeah. I don't like being in this age, and uh, but I'm in good shape for it. Yeah, you look very well. I dropped a lot of weight. I exercise seven days a week. I eat like unbelievable. Yeah. You walk, how? What did you get? Very heavy. Fifty pounds. You more. lost fifty pounds. Fifty pounds three years ago. All right. Well, t- I'm sort of. Uh, I think I'm fifty pounds too heavy. Yeah. So if you can indulge me and tell me how you lost that weight, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I did it. The, it's the simplest, easiest thing you've ever seen. Just like my mother said to me, it's, yeah. it's, 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 this is it. Yeah. Put the fork down and run down to the store. That's the whole bowl of wax. <laughs> put the foot, step away from the table. That's that, however you want to put <laughs> yeah. it, you know, eat less and run. Yeah. That's, and just move. Yeah. That's it. That's 800 page book. That's it. You don't have to worry about blood type or this thing or bending. It's over. Just run. That's the way I used to Just run. keep moving. Yeah. I, I wear a pedometer. Yeah. Are you wearing, Are you wearing it now? Right here. 10,000 step, 10, steps a day. How fast are you going right yeah. now? Right now, I'm a, <laughs> I'm two blocks away from you. <laughs> it, you. You wear it all the time? I, yeah. This is like having a trainer with you. I do 10,000 steps a day. You make sure? Yeah. So like if at the end of the day, you're like- If I'm like 2,000 short, I get out of bed and I just start running alongside the bed. <laughs> That's yeah. what I do. Are you married? Yes, I am. And what is she? Not for long. <laughs> no, you're just running in place yeah. next to the bed. That's it. Um, so anyway, it's easy to lose weight. You just got to do it on a daily, but one day. Yeah, I time. think I knew that. I'm, I'm just like, so I'm just slacking right it's now. It's all garbage. I mean, otherwise, just forget about it. It's all. It's it really is relative to what you put in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't eat that. There yeah. you go. That's how you lose weight. Put That's that. It. Yeah. Don't eat that. It's that simple. And yeah. then after a couple months of doing that, you don't want it anymore. Is that true? Yeah. I'd like to believe that. Yeah, I sure. find I go in cycles. Like, I don't want anymore. I'm thrilled that I'm losing weight. I feel great. And then I just, it's just, I eat one piece of pie. It sets you off. And I'm done. Yeah, of course. And then I'm, I'm strung out on sugar and flour. Sure. Someone baked me a custard pie, uh, a fan, brought yeah. it home. I said, it'd be wrong not to taste it. Sure. Ate half of it. Sure. And then I had to get it out of the house. But I don't like wasting food, so I had to stop myself from going door to door with half a pie. Right. Saying, is anybody, would, would you like some? Yeah. <laughs> Half a pie? <laughs> the Bronx? <laughs> the Bronx. The, the only borough with the word the in it. Yeah. And was it, what was the What was the family like? I mean, you're not, you know, you're not old enough to have like some weird, you know, Jewish tale. No, no. Uh, I, I, yeah, it could have been. Yeah? Well, it could have been right after the war, you know, mm-hmm. like a couple years. But what, uh, what was your old man's racket? Well, my father uh, drove a truck, a working class Jewish guy. Uh, that was drove a cab on weekends. Yeah, truck during the week. Uh, did you go out with him? I did. Uh, probably some of the most memorable times of my life was working with my dad on a truck. Yeah, why? It was just I was a little kid sitting yeah. in that giant 
30-footer, yeah. you know, in the front driving through yeah. Manhattan and yeah. sitting up high in the air. Uh-huh. And the, the gear shift making those crazy noises. And my yeah. father looked like the strongest man in the world, lifting things. That's and, beautiful. Yeah. Never hijacked by the mob. Well, there is a mob story there, yes. What? Uh, what happened was his business, he didn't own it, he worked. Yeah. And he worked for a trucking company yeah. that the mob... It was owned by a Jewish guy. Yeah. The mob came to the owner and said, uh, listen, we want to buy your company. Uh-huh. And the owner said, I don't want to sell it. And that weekend, three of his trucks were torched. And Not your dad's. His boss's. Right. And uh, his boss sold to the mob. Yeah. So that my father's new boss was the mob. <laughs> oh, no. And they made him quit the union. Right. Which he had been in for like 20-something years, so all his pension, everything disappeared. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really a horrible. Why didn't he just leave the company? Um, finding another job at that age yeah. was difficult. and you that's, know. that's insane. Yeah. So they forced him out. They, they forced the owner to sell. Then they forced everybody to quit the union. Otherwise, they were going to get rid of them. And then what did they did they keep the business going? Was it, did yeah. it become an illegal business after that? Was you know, it's a, you know. Who knows? Right, we'll be uh, we'll be legitimate in five years, Michael. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, wait, so you went to school in the Bronx. What, how, what was the? What did your mother do? Just hang around? No, my mother worked in real estate. She uh, rented apartments. Ah, but I was sent. My parents were Reformed Jews, and they sent me to an Orthodox Jewish school. They wanted you to what, get di- discipline. No, they Why? wanted somebody to keep me till five o'clock in the afternoon. I know exactly what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Public school got out at three or two. Right. Get him out. And my parents worked full time till five or six. Right. So they needed somebody to hold on to me. They didn't have daycare when I was growing up. Oh, uh, my parents found guitar teachers that would pick me there up you at go. school. Yeah. So they wanted you out, but not not because they didn't like you, but yeah. because they worked. Yeah, they worked. So they sent yeah. me to a religious school. They kept me till five o'clock. But that didn't stick. No, it did not stick. When, Although I enjoyed being there. Did you I, learn how to you know speak Hebrew and everything? Speak Hebrew, read Hebrew. You uh, can do that now. Yeah, I can. I can read it very well. Speaking yeah. is speaking is tricky, huh? Yeah. So when did when, did you go to college? No, not really. I uh, was. Uh, I I really didn't even make it out of high school. I did. You know, I didn't really. You don't remember, or you didn't? No, I did. I was a bad kid. I was a bad kid. In what way? I don't sound like Rodney. I'll tell you, I was a rough. I love Rodney. I was a he he he's the reason I went to show business. He's like the most underappreciated comic in the world. I like literally get choked up talking about. He's the greatest things. Tonight Show comic that ever lived. He's one of the greatest comics. Yeah, he's like such when a, I was twelve years old. Yeah, my parents took me to see Rodney Dangerfield at a nightclub. Yeah, and uh, I was sitting. I have a photo from that that evening, and I was sitting watching Rodney came out, did a show, and I said, "I'm twelve. I said, Mom, Dad, that's what I'm going to do." I know exactly what I want to do. I want to be a comedian. Where'd you see him? Where was that? Boulevard Nightclub on Queens Boulevard. In Queens. 12 years old. I was 11 when I was taken to see Jackie Vernon. Similar experience. Unbelievable. It, it changed your life, right? Didn't, but it, when you were there, let me ask you something. Like when you were there, could you just feel the sort of like the sweat and the filth of it? You know, like, uh, I mean, like he's funny, but you know, when you're looking at those guys, you know, yeah. and at that, I don't know what age he would have been. <laughs> he would have been younger. It was before he quit, I'd imagine. Right? Um, 12. Six. Yeah. Yes, yes. Or maybe just when he came back. Yeah. Just when he started to come back. Because yeah. he, he went away no, for no, a while. No, no, no. He had he was gonna leave after this. This was like sixty six. He didn't come back till in the seventies, right? No, no, I think what it was is that early on in the fifties he couldn't get over. And then he quit and he went into aluminum siding 
and was hanging out with Joe Ansis, and they were selling jokes to comics. And, well, I and met so, Joe Ansis with Rodney. God, I, I wish I, he was still alive. And uh, and then and then he uh, after five or six years, he came back as Rodney Dangerfield. He was Jack right. Roy before. That's so right. if, he, if he was performing as Dangerfield, he was back. And George Schultz gave him the name Rodney Dangerfield. Is that true? Yeah, George Schultz from Pips in Queens. You remember yeah. Pips? Yeah. George Schultz gave him that name. Really? Yeah. How's that story go? Um, he just said you need a different name, and he came up with Dangerfield. That's the only way I understand it. So, so, uh, so like sitting there though, because like, I remember when I saw Jackie Vernon, like you know, I'd see him on TV with the slideshow bit. I thought he was hilarious, yeah. and they brought me. It was, I, it was like my first comic love, and I was eleven or twelve years old. But I remember seeing like, damn, he's a heavy set guy. He's got to sit down. He's sweating. Right. He doesn't look well. No, he, <laughs> there was like a whole sort of weird, the, the sort of vis, the visceral effect yeah. of seeing a live comic at yeah. that age. Like they've been, that guy's been through some things. Well, when I saw Rodney come out those curtains when I was twelve, I knew there's something wrong with him. Yeah, I mean, he looked like a guy that just got out of a, you know a bull was just shot out of the pen. Right, right, and he just his eyes wide eyed. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know what coked up was. Right. And he was a grown was, man. These And we're children. This is a grown man yeah. saying these amazingly funny and appropriate People things. People were laughing, mm-hmm. and I had, I, I had no idea what I was laughing at. In yeah. fact, I still remember a joke, and I told yeah. Rodney, my wife was is like a car. Sometimes I can't get her to turn over in the morning. And I had no idea what that meant at 12. Now I'm married, I understand, of course. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, and, uh, and you now do the joke, which yeah. is good. It's a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> I was with Rodney. I had the pleasure. I got a, a call from his wife mm. uh, three days before he died. She said, go up and see him at Cedars. Uh, I mean, at UCLA. And this is the first time you'd met him? No, 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 no. When, no. When, now, like, uh, before the death story, <laughs> what was your relationship with Rodney? Good. Um, I had uh, met him uh, at Catch a Rising Star. Yeah. He came in and I went over and I said, Rodney, I got to tell you, when I was 12 years old, I went to see you. Yeah. And he goes, uh, all right, you got any jokes? And uh, <laughs> they don't want to hear, you know, these guys don't want to. And well, he bought jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the first money I ever made in my life. I mailed him a joke and then he sends me a check for $50. Yeah. And he, where the note says, are you sure this is your fucking joke? Because people would see on TV and then they would send him yeah. s- steal. Right. And he, he really was very clear about that. No steal in here, right? Right. And uh, I still have a copy of that check. Uh, the joke was, mm. Rodney would say, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I know I'm getting old. I went to the cemetery to visit my dad and two guys chased me with shovels. <laughs> yeah, is it a good joke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with Rodney, that's like one joke and a string of 30. Yeah, right. That he'll well. knock out in 10 minutes. Boom, boom, boom. He's unbelievable. And But after that, after you sold him the joke, you, you had a bit of a relationship with yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. I uh, stayed. I got his number, and I stayed in touch with him. And I, I, periodically, I would see him around the club. I would only see him when he'd come in to do a new Tonight Show set. Yeah. Were you on the list of people he'd call when he was miserable? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. But eventually, he did start getting in touch with me when he started doing his uh, specials. Yeah. And I had turned him down for a special, and it made him very angry. For the uh, the ones at Dangerfields? Yeah. Those he, were important specials. They were very important, but I've always worked clean. And uh, what happened was, uh, it was Andrew Dice Clay and like- uh, Dom Irera. Kennison. They weren't on the same one though, were they? No, I they were on two different ones. I remember which one was on it, but yeah. there was you know, a couple sure, of sure, guys sure. who were really, really sure. funny, Yeah, but they didn't work clean at all. They right. worked really dirty. Yeah. And I chose not to work that way. And I told Rodney, I didn't want to be on the special. And he was so upset at me. He goes, Marco, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm trying to give you a career break here. And he and, said, clean it up, clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> said, Stop with the F word, Rodney. Will you please? I have yeah. a great Rodney story if you want to hear it. 
I do. And includes... Uh, so anyway, uh, one, Rodney was always famous for wearing uh, robes. Yeah, at his club. He'd walk in and he'd... As <laughs> soon as he was done with yeah. the show, right mm-hmm. into the robe. Yeah. So anyway, one time uh, I, I saw Rodney in LA and I said, you know, I really want to come see your old Tonight Show. So he did the Tonight Show with Johnny when it was 90-minute show, not one hour. You did too, right? Yeah, I did. I did five with Johnny. But when it was an hour. Yes. Okay, go ahead. So... These guys used to do like 12 minutes. Yeah. On the, I mean, yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. They do eight standing. Yeah. And then they sit down for They like had time five. to fill. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was a 90 minute show. Yeah. <laughs> so I said to Rodney, I would really like to see these old 90 minute Tonight Shows. Yeah. He says, if you come to New York, I got him there. Give me a call. So one night I'm with Seinfeld in New York and, yeah. and we're talking. And I said, listen, why don't we call Rodney? Maybe we'll go up to his house to uh, look at some of these specials. Yeah. He says, yeah, so I call Rodney, I get him on the phone, He's, I said, I'm with uh, Seinfeld, can we come up and see, he goes, absolutely. So I, I start heading over there with Jerry. Yeah. I said to Jerry, I bet you, he answers the door wearing a bathrobe. Yeah. And Jerry says, no way possible. I mean, you know, nobody greets right. guests right. in their bathrobe. Yeah. He's gonna put on a shirt. Uh-huh. I said, I'll bet you a dollar, dollar. Mm-hmm. So he takes me up on the bed, we shake on it, even yeah. though Jerry's worth, a billion dollars, he still shakes on the dollar. So anyway. <laughs> he wasn't then. No, he wasn't. Yeah. But anyway, we get to the door. Yeah. I ring the bell. Rodney opens. He's wearing a robe. Yeah. And we both start laughing. Rodney goes, Rodney goes, what's so fucking funny here? Yeah, yeah. So we said, well, I said you were going to wear the robe. He said, so Rodney takes us in yeah. to his bedroom and opens a closet and there's a hundred robes. <laughs> yeah. A hundred. Yeah. And he starts explaining what each robe is like. It's a piece of art. Uh-huh. Like you would go, you know, yeah. this is a Monet. Yeah. This is a yeah. Van Gogh. Right. He's going, I got this one in Paris. Yeah. This broad gave me this one. <laughs> Joe Ansis was there. At so, his house. They were friends forever. Ever. Best friends. So I walk in. Joe Ansis is smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Rodney's smoking weed. Yeah. And uh, then we sat down. And uh, he showed us a couple of his old Tonight Shows, and it was one of the most pleasant comedy evenings I'd ever spent in my life. That's uh, that's beautiful. It was it was it was it's trem- like it's like such a life changing thing. It, it it was. I never forgot it, and I won a dollar off yeah. of Jerry. Yeah. Did so he the whole pay? thing. Does he still owe yes. you? No, he, he paid. He paid. paid. <laughs> Good. Well, that's a, like a lot of people. I don't know if people know who Jim Lantis was, but he you know, he's most famous for being Lenny Bruce's roommate. When Lenny was starting to take off, and, and, and some people believe that Lenny sort of co-opted his personality, because Joe wasn't really capable of performing. But he and Rodney, from what I understand, you know, wrote jokes for people. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's an article I read recently. What was Joe Answers uh, like? Very quiet. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like... Uh, he, he was I, high. He was high, <laughs> yeah. and uh, he, was, he had his own little TV. Mm-hmm. Like a little that he carried nine with him? inch. I, he was sitting at a table by himself. He wouldn't even come over with us. Huh. It was just. Uh, but Joe Ansis, uh, uh, um, Lenny Bruce thought was the funniest guy in the world. Right. And so did Rodney. Yeah. And so did George Schultz from right. Pips. They but all, he didn't do stand up really. Didn't do. Didn't have the balls to go up and right. do it. But he he seemed to have an input, uh, a big influence on Rodney and Lenny. Yeah, he had the eye. Yeah, he had the eye, and he had a, a sensibility, I guess. And I guess he probably had the weed. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's also it. Yeah, that's what I heard. I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated with that generation, you know, b- before us, before right. you. So, like, I don't want to talk about other people the whole time, but you were there. You were there for all of it. You were there for Larry David's beginning. You were there for everything. Larry David. Mm-hmm. And you and Jerry. I think it's hard for some people to to realize that these people were just young, hungry comics at some point. You guys used to go out to Pips too. Oh yeah. Well, Jerry worked at Bruinberger. 
you know, which brewing is, burger, sure, just steak and brew yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And uh, my first road gig was with him in, with him in my 1976 Toyota Corolla. Uh-huh. We went to Washington D.C. Uh-huh. together. What club? Garvin's Grill. Yeah, in Washington. Garvin's D.C. Comedy Club. Yep. There's a story. We went, uh, you know, in the afternoons you try to find things to do. Yeah, of course. So Jerry and I were uh, walking around Washington, and I, I met this. I saw this girl walk by, and I said uh, hello to her. Yeah. She says hello back, and uh, she says uh, we said we're comics. Anyway, so she she comes to the club that night to see the show. Yeah. So at the club, she says, uh, why don't you guys come back to my house? My sister's home, and uh, you can come hang out there with us. Yeah. So she drives, we drive her back to her place. She yeah. lives in a, um, what do they call it, an embassy. In a, a bad neighborhood in Washington, it used to be like the Sudan Sudanese embassy. They yeah. went out of business. Yeah, you know, Sudan went out of business for a while. It was one of those countries <laughs> yeah, that yeah, just yeah. left the UN <laughs> and they left the embassy and they rented this place to her for one dollar a year. Okay, get out. So, so she had like a sixty-room mansion embassy. Who the hell was this lady? Okay, I have no idea who she was. So uh, Jerry and I show up there, and she says, uh, "My sister's home too." So somehow I'm with this girl and Jerry's going to get the sister. Yeah. But we haven't seen the sister yet. Yeah. And we go in yeah. and there's this big staircase, almost like, uh, you remember in Gone with the Wind, the staircase that they come yeah. down, this giant staircase. In the circle. mansion, yeah. So about 15 minutes later, the sister comes down and it's very dark in the staircase yeah. and we just see like blue eyes, like uh, one of those uh, dogs, you yeah. know, the uh, uh, Weimarans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, the sister is now bino. Okay. And, sure. Uh, so that was your date? No, that was uh, we Jerry got her with the, Jerry. She yeah, he got the albino, uh-huh. and I got uh, the sister. So me and this girl take off, and I leave Jerry with the albino. Yeah. And Jerry's uncomfortable anyway with most people, but uh, with an albino, he's really uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but you leave him there nonetheless because you're a good friend. Yeah. yeah so I go upstairs with the sister, yeah. and uh, we're out on some balcony, and uh, Jerry proceeds to go in search of me with the albino yeah because he can't he can't stay with her he just yeah. where are they yeah <laughs> are they in here yeah, yeah. so uh, like 15 20 rooms later they finally found us and jerry yeah. got me to to leave uh-huh. and get him away from the albino and what do you have to say about the experience he he thought it was the funniest thing that ever happened to him in his life because he never figured in a million years that he would have spent any time with an albino by himself in a well, you- sudanese Ex embassy. You know what makes him different than most other comics? <laughs> he didn't fuck the albino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the difference between. That's Jerry, why he's a success. That's right. Between Jerry Seinfeld and ninety percent of the <laughs> other comics, is the story they went before would have went for was. Right. You ever had sex with an albino right. one? Jerry right. just was like, "What did you leave me there for?" You just figured the key to success. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't. fuck the albino. <laughs> It's like a, a fairy tale. You know, when, when you're at a crossroads and there's the albino woman offering herself to you, go the other way. That's in Jerry's book. It should be. So uh, you did The Tonight Show. Like, I remember seeing you. I mean, it was very early, very early on. Now, the decision to work clean was what? It was uh, just a decision that uh, I made with some of my friends early on. We just, my heroes were all clean. So would that have been like that would have been like Larry Miller probably Larry Miller he Jerry works clean Jerry Riser Riser um, Dennis Wolfberg for the most part we all pretty but much. it was a conversation you had yeah I remember we did talk about you know it's something that just interested us yeah and again my hero my hero was Bill Cosby yeah I mean I, for my money he's the greatest stand up that ever lived yeah so 
you know, that's who I heard. That's who I liked. Uh, and uh, whether it was everybody were clean those days, and the generation before us. You see, I'm, I'm just being. I'm like I. I think I'm sloppy with that. And and you know, I know it's weird. I've been on TV dozens of times, and I can certainly do it. You know, but when I'm doing it live, I'm just saying fuck every other word. Like, but I I know I can do it. Right. But there's something for some reason not as satisfying to me when I right. can't do that. But it probably feels pretty good to work with. It is. I mean, George Carlin himself he admitted that uh, he used uh, F to to punch it up. I just it's become it becomes a punctuation that you're not aware of though. He was right. very anal about it. I'm sure yeah. he used it very meticulously. Like, I'm going to put a fuck here. Yeah, I'm going to put one here. These are words. Me, it's, yeah, yeah, me, it's just sort of like this fucking thing. You right. know, it's a sloppy way of talking, and I feel bad about it sometimes. I did try the other way, and it just didn't suit me. Yeah, what? what do you remember the joke? Um, because <laughs> with you, it had to be like I'm going to decide. To do dirty joke. I'm going to say this here. <laughs> well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the reason. I had a real legitimate reason. Uh-huh. I was not allowed to curse at home when I was a kid. Yeah. Even though my mother think, cursed. We were never supposed to, right? Right. But I was not. If I cursed, and I just never did. I never slipped. Yeah. I was right, just right, a right. slipper. Yeah. So when I got up on stage, if I, everybody, you remember when you first started, everybody was older than you in the audience a little bit? Like, uh, I mean, they were like. It felt like it. Yeah. I mean, or every once in a while, I would see people who look like my parents in the audience. Right, right. And I go, oh, you can't curse. Yeah. There's there's your parents. Yeah. A, a bunch of them. They're all your parents. Yeah, all yeah. of them. Everybody yeah. older than you was like your parents. Why, why, as, I think there's a lot of truth to, to that in general as as a intellectual concept. It's like, I'm, th- these are my parents. I hope I can please them. Yeah. Don't you stop cursing when you see a doctor? It depends on the doctor. Okay, but you know, for the most part, if yeah. you're... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, am I okay, Doc? I and mean, what the fuck is wrong with me? I don't do <laughs> No, you just don't. <laughs> my fucking leg is killing me. <laughs> yeah, you just don't... Uh, right. I'm very sloppy with it because being a comic for as long as I've been, you actually are... are, are you're socially retarded in, in practical situations. Having not having to spend time in a workplace, you know, is, you know concepts like sexual harassment, uh, proper, you know, uh, oh, appro- appropriateness in conversation, yeah. they elude me. Me too, because <laughs> we, we've never had a... No, we're animals. We're and how? Yeah, when everyone else is off, what's like, today? Yeah, well, who cares? You know, yeah. people hate that. You got to yeah. have some sympathy, or empathy around that. You really do. When they get that day off, that means a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, today is a holiday. Yeah, good for you. How does it feel to have a day yeah, off? Yeah. <laughs> I get every day off. I, I know. <laughs> I'm self-employed. You can garner a lot of resentment for that. So you don't have a real job, but it is a real job. Are you kidding me? Totally. Yeah, we threw our life in the toilet and took a risk. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got? What, you got a pension? You got security? Throw your life in the toilet. Live a little. So when did the first Tonight Show? I mean, uh, Well, how it happened, if you want to hear the story, it's it's quite a We're talking on microphones. Why not? And I do I do curse in this story because it's it's part of the system. All right, so let me prepare people that are okay. our fans. Of yours are going to be shocked that you're cursing. Maybe your rabbi's listening. We shouldn't. So, I um, Jim McCauley from sure, the Tonight the Show, Booker of the Tonight Booker Show, the Tonight legendary, Show. legendary Booker of the Tonight Show. Yeah, uh, who we all wanted to get in front of to sure. get the Tonight Show. Comes into the comic strip to see a bunch of us. Yeah. So I go up on stage. Those are those showcase nights where you're sitting there like, oh, the audience, I hope they hold up. I hope yeah, they hold up. Just, and, and you hope Belzer wasn't the MC who did 45 <laughs> minutes in between each, each act, you know, in front of like Jim McCauley. Buzzed out, doing Mick Buzzed Jagger impressions. Buzzed out, doing Mick Jagger, yeah. the bar mitzvah yeah. for 45 minutes, <laughs> not bringing up the next act to showcase in yeah. front of the biggest thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. Unbelievable. See, have, you, have you dealt with this resentment towards Richard? Uh, no, no. Right. I just... 
It's, <laughs> it's not really a resentment, but it's true. Yeah, I, I mean, know, it's just I the know. way it was. He, he worked out all right for him, huh? In the long run, it's pretty- Well, as he said, uh, funny got him a serious job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, I think he's a sweet guy. He is a sweet guy. I haven't talked to him. I'd like to talk to him. But he's yeah. in France a lot, right? He has a, a house in France. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Could be. Where do you live? Oh, you live over here. Yeah, right over here. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So, anyway. So, Jim McCauley comes in to see about five or six people. Yeah. I go up on stage. I do my five minutes. Yeah. I get a standing ovation right. in New York. You know how hard it is to get a standing ovation? At the minutes? comic strip? Yeah. yeah. Or in general. Yeah. In general. You can do an hour and they don't want to stand. You I kill. I kill. I totally yeah. destroy. Yeah. Jim um, talks to a couple of people, doesn't talk to me, and, yeah. then, and then leaves. Huh. So uh, I walk outside of the comic strip, and I say, Jim, you got a second? He goes, sure, what's up, Mark? So I said, uh, what do you think? He goes, uh, not Johnny's uh, type of comic. You know, he just, he, he, you know, you're not right for Johnny. Yeah. So I said, I got a standing ovation. Didn't you see? I, I mean, he says, I know I saw it, but you're not, you're, st- you're just not right for Johnny. I said, but they were standing. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I killed him. He goes, I can't help you. And he turns and walks away. Uh huh. So I yell, fuck you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he turns around and says, you will never get the Tonight Show. And then leaves. Cut to seven years later, seven years. I'm in San Francisco at the punchline and uh, show's about to start, and Jim McCauley walks in, and he says, uh, hey, Mark, how you doing? You here tonight? So I said, yeah. I said, what are you doing here? He says, I came to see the guy that's uh, opening for you. Yeah. Cause I you was don't remember who there. that was? I don't. All right. He says, I came to see the guy that's opening for you. I said, oh, great. He says, I got nothing to do. You mind if I stick around and watch you after? So I said, sure. And uh, I go up on stage. He comes after me after the show. He goes, you got the show. Oh. Right? Yeah. So I didn't go, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I should have. Yeah. But- uh, and no mention of any of that because I didn't want to bring it up. I yeah. mean, and he used to drink a lot, so thank God he's maybe it right. erased that from right. his memory right. or something. So he gave me the show. Two weeks later, I was on Tonight Show. And that seven years after, how long have you been doing comedy when he saw you the first time? I was doing it about five years. Twelve years, and yeah. you got the Tonight Show. Yeah. But seven years of just like knowing that you fucked it up. Oh, yeah. And I would see him come at the improv all the time and everywhere, and I would just say hello to him. And, was uh, he nice to you? Hey, Mark, how you, you know he wouldn't have any conversation with any comic that wasn't on the Tonight Show because he knew what we wanted and it was uncomfortable for him. So I did the show and it went so well. And then he started inviting me out on his boat to go sailing with him. Mm. I mean, I went from the fuck you kid to why don't you come sailing with but me? But you never brought up that story again. No. Ever. Never brought it up to him again. Now, when you did that, because like I remember seeing you and it's coming back to me now. That, you know, there definitely seemed to be, you know, even in all your, your charm, and, and I think you were you know, you know, fairly uh, endearing and cute in a way back then, but you seemed hostile. Right. right. That there was definitely, like, you know, you, no matter what you were doing, there was an intensity to it right. that seemed like you know, there was, like, a, a, a good quantity of rage in there. There was anger issues. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. I was very angry. It took me years and years to work them out. Because like when you like yeah. it, there, there's those moments because I've had them, but not as specific as that. Right. Where you know you've got this opportunity, and and there's like there, there's it's a rare comedian, and I think the guys that you hung out with, you know, are good examples of it. Like you know Seinfeld and Riser and uh, and Larry Miller even that could somehow have some foresight and and be socially appropriate and and be political in in their relationships right. to to know that the, that there's a career path here right 
when I was younger, I had no concept of that. Right. It was sort of like, you know, you didn't like me? Why the fuck not? Who the fuck are you? What difference does it make? I'm fucking doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no, it was all about, like, that, that immediate gratification and, like, me. Right. You know, when is my turn? Did you have that? Yes, I did. I had exactly. I, I was, uh, yeah, I would, I would get in your face if you weren't giving it to me. I mean, one night at the improv, um, Bob Shaw... I love Bob Shaw. I love Bob Shaw. The tongue story, the funniest story probably in the history of comedy. Uh, he, Which one is that? I he, remember a guy the, that takes a drug and he can't get his tongue to go straight. Yeah. It's just enormous. If you look it up on YouTube. Didn't he do a Gandhi bit too? And, yes, he did. And he, he, I, the first time I met him, I went on, he was at the improv hanging out before he moved out here. It must have been uh, 89. The, the dying improv, you know, in its last legs there with Silver. And I got off stage. I never met him. He goes, hi, I'm Bob Shaw. I really like your stuff. I'll let you know how it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so one night he says to me, uh, he's uh, the uh, MC at the improv. Mm-hmm. So he says, you're on next, Mark. Yeah. And he never puts me on. Never. I'm, I would hang around every night. He goes, you're on next. Bud said that? No, uh, Bob Shaw. Oh, he was running the show. Yeah. So yeah. this is about the anger thing. So he says, uh, you're on next. So I said, fine. Then Ronnie Shakes uh, who was a dear friend of mine. Very funny guy. Very funny guy. Died very young yeah. of a heart attack. Yeah. Comes in. And Bob says, hey, Ronnie, you want to go on next? Yeah. So Ronnie says, sure. So I go over to Bob and I go, you told me I was going to go on next. He goes, yeah, but Ronnie's a lot funnier than you. <laughs> so then Bob turns and walks away and I had a Coke in my hand and I threw a glass of Coke at his head. Mm. And I just missed him like by an inch. Hit the wall, broke against the wall. Yeah. And so that was another one of those anger. So you were a nutbag. Total nutbag. Total nutbag. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like you know. My, I'm yeah. going to tell you a story that is so funny. Uh, hopefully, you'll think so about anger. It's something that I did. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's okay. So they never put me on at the improv. Yeah. I would hang out night after night after night after night. When Bud was there? No, Bud had already left. Okay. Chris Albrecht was running right. the joint and, and silver uh, and silver and all that. Yeah. So. In the back of the club at the Improv, there was a little tiny uh, wall, and behind that wall was a telephone, a, a dial telephone. Yeah, I know where that was, by the kitchen. Yeah, all the way back. Oh, the, no, no, the, you mean the, in the bar. The bar, that's yeah, yeah, right, yeah. exactly what it is, in the back, right. right? So, I went back there, and I was making a call, and I was so angry because I was getting on. Nobody would put me on. And I had a Bic lighter, and it was a plastic dial. Yeah. And I took the lighter, and I burnt the dial. Yeah. So, nobody could dial the phone. So you'll show them. Yeah, I'll show them. So anyway, uh, about a, two weeks later, I'm back there, and they got a new dial in. Yeah. And you know, so I'm making. A, and so I take my lighter out, and I, <laughs> I I burn the dial again. So Chris gathers everybody about a month or two later, and yeah. says, "One of you fucking guys, somebody's <laughs> burning the dial on the phone. If I find out who it is, I'm going to kill the guy." Yeah. And um, I burnt five more dials. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can make a phone call at the club for yeah. about a year. Yeah. I was, <laughs> and the phone company refused to come. After a while. You manage your fucking club. <laughs> it's not our fault after a certain point. You need to gotta get a guy on the phone watching it. Is this the first time you've admitted that? I admitted, I never did it uh, publicly like this, admitted it. But I got to like the 25 year, uh, you know, it's over. But I, uh, and, and, Chris was completely livid about it. I, goes, I hope Chris Albrecht is, uh, you know, over at Star's television. It's like, that's the fucking guy. Yeah. Well, it he will shit. remember it in a blink of an eye because it was such a uh, a thorn in his side. Yeah. 
He would remember. Well, because what happened is every comic now had to use his phone, which was the business phone, yeah. and he was tying it up, and he right. couldn't get business calls. Right. So he would remember. Oh, in a blink of an eye. So do you, when you look back at, at your career, you did the, you did Johnny five times. Johnny like you? Did he call you over? Did he Yes, do? he did. Mm -hmm. I, I went on the couch with him, and uh, in fact, maybe the greatest honor just about ever bestowed upon me uh -huh. was Johnny... At the end of his life, after he retired, he he put out what they call the Ultimate Johnny Carson Collection. Sure, I remember those. Which is like 12 DVDs. Of, of bits and pieces and guests and yeah, things. Guests yeah, guests and, and yeah. sets and yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. you know, what's his name with the axe between the legs and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. And he picked his 10 favorite first-time comedians ever on the show, and I was one of those comics. Oh, that's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big honor. So, do you look back, like, you know, I don't really know what you've been doing for a while you know i i mean when i bring her, your name up which i do uh usually you get like he's very religious now yeah and uh he doesn't work on weekends you know yeah. mark weiner him and mark weiner and the, the other guy there's one other guy who was that guy the other the, the richard who, morris yeah richard morris right right yeah, yeah you mark weiner and richard morris the they, father the son and the holy ghost that's right Jews. yeah they, they, no no weekends for them yeah. fridays are out but uh but do you look back and think that your anger crippled you somehow that you, you blew it you mean career-wise yeah uh yeah yeah i think i think i think to some degree what what happened was um i had such an anger that when i would go to auditions and things yeah. or do things it wouldn't i would i i would i would be so upset and intense that i would freeze up and i would i i, I wouldn't be available preemptively like, before you got in, you're like, they're not going to like me. Who the fuck are these people? What was the dialogue? Yeah, there was all that stuff. Yeah. You, know, you know the lawnmower joke, right? No. You know, a guy's thinking, he's got a bar, his lawnmower broke, so he's on his way over to his neighbor to borrow the lawnmower. Yeah. And as he's walking over, he goes, he's never going to lend it to me. And I, even if I ask him, I don't like him. He doesn't like me. You know, he hates my wife. The, kid, the guy, he rings the bell. The guy opens the door, and the guy goes, fuck you. I don't want your lawnmower. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So how do I not know that joke? It's a great joke. <laughs> so I would wind myself up. I was the lawnmower guy. Yeah. By the time I got there, <laughs> you go for, I, I don't want any of your shit anyway. So I don't need you. Yeah, let's not even bother with this. Yeah. Well. Oh shit. Let That's me tell a, you what I dealt with on on the. You uh, could really string that joke out too for a while. Oh, you can. It goes on and on. It goes on and on. <laughs> um, when I did the Tonight Show with Johnny. I remember sitting on the panel. This is what would happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm talking to Johnny and I'm doing my jokes and then he says, "Okay, Mark, that's great." And in yeah. those days, you would move over. Right. You didn't just leave. You right. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. Another guy came out. Yeah, so uh, one time, uh, Cindy Crawford comes on. Sure. After. Yeah. So he's talking to Cindy and the voice in my head says, "Stand up right now and just yell fuck you." In my head. Yeah. You know, just just do it, Mark. Yeah. And I was really wrestling with like this this inner demon here, like, what? You know. And and these are the attacks, the anger attacks I would get, rather than sit there and enjoy the moment. Like here I am on the panel with Johnny. The voice in the head is going, do something crazy and angry. Wait, wait, but fuck you! Like that's not even funny. I mean, you weren't. You weren't the voice in your head is not gunning for the laugh. No, not gunning for the laugh. It's I like just, let's make this a different show. Let's make this the show that Mark Schiff said fuck you on, and to just blow it all up. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you think that came from? Can you track it? I can track. You know, I. You know, I had to, there was a lot of anger in my house growing up, so I swallowed a lot of it, and that's what I learned. The old man, I, the mother. 
Outrageous. So that's what I saw. Yeah. And uh, all is forgiven now. Sure. But that's what I saw and that's what I, how I learned to react. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, there's one thing about anger is like, no matter what's going on, no ma- even if it's a resolvable problem, yeah. once an anger hits a certain pitch, it's all about that. Right. That yeah. they, then it's like that whatever it's about doesn't matter. No. And, and usually if you're an angry person, it's not about whatever the hell you're yelling about anyways. No. It's just this river that runs through you. Anyone that's yelling looks like a crazy person. I know. I, I'm, I've been that guy. Yeah. Two days ago, I was that guy. So, but like, it's not like you, you ever stop working. You do stand up, you did some writing, you've been on television shows yeah. and everything else. Yeah. But what. And I have very, very long term friendships. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do not, I do not uh, blow out friendships. You never did? Nope. No, I got friends forever. I mean, uh, so my comedy buddies, have, uh, we've been together for 30 something years. You and Scheidner and Jerry, yeah, too. Jerry and. You open uh, for Jerry sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's sweet, huh? Yeah. Uh, 8,000, you know, 2,500, 3,000, 4,000 yeah. people. Yeah. And. Uh, it's great. It's, it's, it's the great gig. Yeah. It's the great gig. So you all take care of each other. Yeah. Now what? Now when did like did did something? Was there something around the anger around what what made you become more religious? Well, you know, I, I was actually a born a believer. I was just born with it. I was born like I always believed in God, and that was uh, I never had to wrestle with it. Never had to wrestle with it my whole life. But you did step up your game. Yeah. Well, I happen to like um, fanatical people. Hmm. I, I love fanatics. Why? I, I, I can't tell you why, because I, I just somehow feel that fanatics are doing it right. In any of them, even uh, the ones that are dangerous. Even Well, even for what they're doing, they're doing a good job at it. So you say the Nazis were very good. At what they did. <laughs> at what they did. Yeah, I was thinking about Hitler the other day. I was thinking if Hitler was still alive now, yeah. I know he'd be 90-something. Yeah. If he would have eased up on the Jews, if he would go, you know, maybe they weren't that bad. You know, I don't know what I was thinking. I was a kid. I, You know, who knew? That's right. That's right. And you know what the Jews would say? Yeah. Too late. Too late. Give me my grandparents back. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I it, Well, I mean, there, there's probably an argument to be made for that. I, I You know, like in the same way anybody mellows. Eventually, yeah. you know, the sad thing about that is that, you know, the... If Hitler were 90, there might be an outside chance that he would, uh, you know, people would say, well, what about the Holocaust? He goes, what? The what? What did I do? Yeah. I what did was... I do? Uh, What's for lunch? And they would have some drug that, uh, you know, they would. Yeah. He, he probably had some disease they would name. Sure, sure. He had you problems. Know. There's a reason to feel sorry for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Hitler apologists. Yeah. He was difficult. He was, you know, he had anger problems. Anger and, problems. And, yeah, uh, I guess at, the, at that level it doesn't matter. But fanatics, you, you find their commitment yeah, the, the level of commitment is in, impressive, in this, especially in this day and age. So some of these religious people that I hang around with are very unbelievably committed, much more than me, I will ever be. And to, to watch them is actually inspiring on some level. But 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 it's uh, you don't find it exclusionary or perhaps narrow-minded? No. Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, exclusionary how? Like uh, n- not respectful of other well, no, I, I think that, I, I don't know, are you, you Orthodox? Yeah, I that, that's I go to an Orthodox synagogue. Right, right. right. So, and so you pray every day? You do tefillin every day? You know, I'm hit or miss. I'm hit or miss. On that? Yeah. But you do pray every day? Yeah, yeah. So, now, and look, I understand all that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish and I understand the uh, the power of ritual. I understand the, the power of prayer, even. Yeah. 
but uh, I do find, you know, I, I talk about Hasidim uh, in, in a slightly judgmental and negative way mm-hmm. because I, I find them to be bizarre and exclusionary. They, they're not going to accept me as a Jew unless it's in a trailer and they're forcing me to pray and maybe right. I join the Chabad. But in, in essentially, it's, 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 it's a bit exclusionary unless you jump through quite a few hoops and you prove yourself right. to be uh, of that ilk. I'm well, not the, even the sure. The Chabad will accept you, but the other groups, like the, uh, yeah, the other groups of them, wouldn't accept me or other people. That yeah. So that those are the those are the far end of the Jewish fanatic. Right, 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 right. But that's right. A, that impressive to you? You know, I, I find them interesting. I don't find them. Uh, they're off in their own world somewhere. Right. I, I don't. Uh, if they were infringing on me, but yeah. uh, you know, it's their own business. I I think. I mean, you know, doesn't. Uh, they don't do anything dangerous. So I don't know. Sure. Now, in terms of ritual, like, um, so you do all the things. I try. I yeah. mean, I, I don't do everything. and uh, But I do. What are the basics if I wanted to get involved? Okay. So the, your basic kit? Yeah. I want the basic uh, Jewy Jew kit. Well, you, you need a pair of tefillin. Yeah, I don't have you that. You need that. I have a talus. Okay, so you there, got a talus. See my talus right there on the shelf. Right there. It's either yeah, red it's bag. Yeah, in the bag. Yeah, yeah. That's an old bag, too. The old velvet bag. Yeah, yeah. The old velvet talus bag. Yeah, my bag. grandfather gave me that talus. Yeah, because that's not a kid's talus bag. That's a large size that, talus bag. That's what you get when you bar mitzvah. Like, Step up. Your bar mitzvah talus is in there? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when, we, when else do you get the talus? Well, I had a small talus bag when I was Oh, you know what? You know what? I don't think that is. Yeah, it doesn't think, look like it. I think I was given my other grandfather's talus into fillin in a blue bag that was beat up, and I don't know where that is. I bought that in Israel. Okay, there you go. Well, how about that for an eye? I, good for you. Yeah. You called me out on my shit. I yeah. can no longer call that my bar mitzvah talus. Well, you call it whatever you want. It's the one I bought in Israel because I thought, yeah. like, I, I'm here. I might as well get a nice one. Right. Yeah, and you got one. Yeah. So you want to put up mezuzahs on 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 your house? No, I don't have that. Okay, you know what the mezuzah? Yeah, I had one when I was married to a Jew, and okay. then I married another person. This one's okay. I, I don't not him, but yeah, maybe you're right because okay. you want people to know where you are when they come to get you. That's right. Yeah, I'm the, sure that joke. Simply the blood on the blood on the door. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, mezuzah, mezuzah, talus. I need some tefillin. I don't have any tefillin. Right, and a prayer book and prayer book. Which prayer book? Just a straight up Bible or the Jewish prayer book? Is it? Well, you need the Torah. Yeah, you need okay. The Torah. I think I have that. I okay, have a Torah, you got the Torah, but I have it in English. That's fine. God speaks English. Okay, good, good, good. So I've got a Torah. I got the five books somewhere. The five books of Moses, mm-hmm. and then you need uh, your little uh, daily prayer book, and then uh, your uh, and you you got the the penis clipped. Yeah, that's all done. Well, you're in. I'm I'm good. You're in. I, I just need a few, uh, some accessories. I just that's need it. to accessorize. Yeah, my once Judaism. you got the clip thing, you're officially because you can't uh, yeah. actually go to the Jewish side without the clip. Right. There. Yeah, but what about the tattoo thing? No, that's fine. Oh, they it's let that a, in now? A, you can get in now. It, it was never true. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Andy Wayne's good. Andy's good to go. <laughs> He's still alive, you know. cut his arm off and yeah. bury that in a, <laughs> a Geisha Cemetery, the arm. He's, he's still alive, you know. He he writes me, emails me once a year, twice a year, yeah. and I never answer him. Yeah. No, he's, a, he's not all there anymore. Yeah. He had some yeah. problems. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. He used to talk about you constantly. Yeah. He loved you. We were you. very close. He loved you, yeah. We traveled all through Portland and all kinds of, we went to Alaska together. Yeah. Oh, you're doing those gigs. Yeah. 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 Now, so you honor the Shabbos. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a, I go every Shabbos to shul. I mean, I still, I'm I'm still batting, I'm not batting 100%, uh-huh. but I go as often as I can and uh, I just love being there. Uh-huh. I love it. And you have kids? Three boys, Jacob, Eli, and Noah. 
Could you give him some more Jewish names? I anything? can't. I couldn't find anything more Jewish. <laughs> and you live down there. That's a pretty Jewish neighborhood. I live in the in the uh, the shtetl. Yeah, the, yeah. Michael Robertson is the shtetl. Yeah, it's we. It's like a, a lot of Iranian Jews, right there. Yeah, they're yeah. all there. The Farsi. Yeah, yeah. What are they called? Farsis. Oh, really? Is that yeah. what they're called? Yeah, a lot of Iranian, Iraqi. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're all there, but it's an incredibly Jewish neighborhood. And there's a, a supermarket there where they have you can get fresh fish in back. I've been to, there's a fish market there. Is there not? Yeah, on Pico? There, yes, there are. there are. There are a few of them. Yeah. There are a few of them. And then you can get fresh fish. Fresh fish. And I, I don't know where you, where else you get fresh fish. No, they, they have, these people eat tremendous amounts of fish. Yeah. And now, did you, like, how long have you been Orthodox? I've been leaning that way for a good 20 years, you know. I always... Uh, Again, I always like those people. I mm-hmm. like going there. I sit separate from women mm-hmm. in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. You know, women on one side. Well, you need there. a break. You do. <laughs> I don't sit next to my wife anymore. <laughs> Can we have one day? I'm praying you? with her anyway. Yeah, yeah. When I'm sitting next to her, that nothing. We're not going to break out in a fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. constantly praying. Hey, please, God, stop any fights right now. Yeah. What do you think? Like, it, is it compelling? Like. You know, there's a conversation with the. the I, I always try to figure out why, why, what makes Jews, you know, different in how they approach religion. Like, yeah, I mean, I imagine what fascinates you is there's a constant debate about little things yes. within within the faith. You know, philosophical debate, religious debate. You know, the the Talmud is speculative to some people, and yeah. it's it, it Talmud is just one argument after another. That's right. all it is. Yeah, thirty set. Uh, no. 97, how many volumes? 77 volumes yeah. of arguments or something. Yeah. yeah, like trying to just like, what did God mean? Yeah, what did he I'll mean? I'll tell you he, what he mean. And then somebody says, he didn't mean that, he didn't yeah. mean that. Uh, do you study those arguments? I do sometimes, yes, I do. And But I, by yourself, you can't really, you need a, uh, a class or But to, do you do it to problem solve? Like, is it is it that ingrained in you? You're like, I don't know what to do, my neighbor's fence is... That's know. right. And the donkey fell in a yeah, hole. Yeah, yes. Is there some, like a law text where I can glean some spiritual wisdom around well, this? Well, people that are, are great Talmudic scholars yeah. actually make tremendous lawyers. There's no argument they cannot figure out once they've had this uh, basic training. It's, In ethics. It, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, all of that being the case, it doesn't mean that person's going to be ethical. Of course not. You know, they can study, learn... You have to be able to apply it to life, and a lot of people cannot do that, no matter how much. Well, they, all that can go down the toilet with one, one bad action. That's right. We're all one action away from completely destroying everything. But that's good to know that. Kinda. It's it's even more so now with social networking. That's right. Yeah, you, you can. Re- the higher up the ladder you go, the, lo- the you know the longer the fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever? Uh, well, you see it happen. You know, you see it happen. Yes, you do. It's all scary. But then what happens? What about the struggle back up? What about God forgiveness and all that? Right. Well, in Judaism, as long as you're on the subject, there are two types of uh, things. Yeah. There's uh, sin against man against man and man against God. Yeah. So if I sin against God, I can deal with him. If I sin against you, I cannot be forgiven by him. Really? Yeah. So you lend me $1,000. Mark Maron lends Mark Schiff $1,000. There you go. And I, I don't want to pay you back. Yeah. And I say to God, forgive me. No. No, you got to give him the money. I either give you the money or you forgive me for it yourself. So you got to get straight with man to get straight with God. That, that's right. So if I don't straighten it out with you, when I die, I'm, I'm, I'm never forgiven. You You're know, just I have, floating. In, well, in, I got to pay the price for this. Yeah, shame on and, uh, But not hell. Is it hell? Yeah, yeah. Oh. There is a form of, uh, of uh, cleansing. 
Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, so that's the difference in man-to-man. What are the man-to-man things? Killing, money. I mean, is it like it seems like money? So, like, it, really, God's not going to like let that slide? No, 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 because it's not His money. I what mean, are the sins against man? Is there a big list? Well, you know, adultery. Yeah. Uh, if you, your wife stealing from you. Yeah. Murder. Like yeah. If if I the murder, if I murder somebody in your family. Yeah. You cannot forgive me. The only one that can forgive me is the murdered person. And since that's not possible, murder is not forgiven. God will not forgive murder. No. No, you pay the penalty. See, that's, I guess that's the big difference. That's why Judaism is different, is that you can't just go in and tell a guy no. and be absolved. There's no novenas for this, no. for certain things. You, there's no No, uh, it's absolving. like you have to live in that darkness. Crunched. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You're out with God. In that respect, now you can you can maybe tip the scale somehow and do other things, but uh, those things have to be taken care of by you, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Who who might have forgive if you owe me a thousand dollars? Who is a friend to forgive you for giving me, and well, not getting and that friend being God or anybody for that matter? No, but what you're saying is like okay, so I I lend you a thousand dollars, you say fuck you, Mark, I'm not paying yeah. it back. Yeah. So now I'm mad at you, but God is also like, I can't, you know, you're, you're shit to me until you give that guy his money. Yeah, 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 you got to take it, care of this. And so what you're saying is that, like, some sins, like, let's take murder, which is, is interesting. So so uh, you kill my brother. Right. So the only person that can forgive you on the man level for killing my brother is my brother. He's right. dead. So even if I forgive you, that doesn't matter. But that that is going to give you a little, a little, uh, uh, um, uh, relief on a moral level but so you know in your heart that god's never going to forgive you you killed a man so right. you, that means you're you're exiled to the to land of man and the only thing you can make up for that is by doing mitzvahs and good deeds for the rest of your life but that's still not that's on you erase it that's on you and somehow deep down the murderer understands i think intuitively that you cannot forgive me for killing your brother because many murderers beg to be killed yeah you know, they want to go out because they can't live with it. Right. So, um, yeah, if, yeah, you just can't, certain things can't be done. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I like not being able to be forgiven for things. It keeps you on your toes. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how much crying, no matter how much charm, no matter how funny you are. Right. It's, you're, you're, you're not forgivable. Although I will tell you something you don't know. In the Talmud, it yeah. does say that comedians go straight to heaven. No. Yes, there's a pass in the Talmud that comedians are, are, are considered the highest form of humanity just about possible because you're making the creator's children happy. And more than anything else that he wants from a person is for you and me to make other people happy. Huh. So you're doing really the ultimate goodwill. What's the, what is the word that he uses in place of comedian? Um, the st- uh, I I can't remember the exact word, but I know the passage, and I'll send it to you. Is it like clown or entertainer? Or no, like, no, it's a funny like uh, a jester like oh, yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The story was that. Uh, uh, Eliyahu Hanavi. You remember him from Passover? Yeah. The, the guy that comes in and drinks sure. the wine? Sure. We okay. never saw him, but we okay, left sure. it for him. Yeah. He's standing in a uh, this this thing, and he and, and he, he's with a rabbi, and he says, you see those two people over there? Yeah. He says, which one is going to heaven? And the guy says, uh, 
And the, the, one guy's talking to a rabbi. He said, yeah. the guy goes, the rabbi? He goes, no, the other person. Yeah. Because the other person's a comedian. Yeah. And he makes people laugh. And yeah. He brings happiness to people. That guy's going straight through. So we get a pass. In that respect. Now, if you kill somebody, the pass is taken away. What if we? What if you do it in a really funny way? Yeah, kill somebody in a, and make them laugh right before they uh, buzz out. So anyway, I hope that was helpful. It was, and I think it's a sweet way to end, Mark. Uh, and and the book is still out in the world, and this is a a collection of basically road stories. Yes. Uh, called yeah, I Killed True Stories of the Road from America's Comics. Everybody's in here: Chris Rock, Leno, Riser. Foxworthy, Lopez, Ron White, Brett Butler. Oh, I have to call her. Larry David. And you and Rich Scheidner. I got to get Scheidner in here. It's been too long. How's he doing? He's doing, uh, I think he's doing pretty good. All right, man. So you feel good about what's happened here? I I feel phenomenal. It was great talking to you. Okay, man. Thanks. Thank you. That's it, folks. I hope you found that interesting. Lovely man. Lovely man. Lovely conversation. Go to WTF Pod, check my book tour dates, go to WTF Pod, kick in a few shekels, buy some merch, get on the mailing list, leave a comment, don't be a dick, all right? Order my book, link it up, do it, get some justcoffee.coop. Oh my, I can hear how amped I am inside, I can hear it. Again, three episodes next week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We got Hank Azaria on Monday. We got live from Vancouver featuring Margaret Cho's one-person show about my dick. And we've got uh, Huey Lewis on Friday. Next week, my book is released on Tuesday. And the show Marin premieres on IFC on Friday. This is it, folks. This is what we've been working towards. And then we'll be right back here on Monday. Enjoy. Oh, my hand is a little numb. A little bit. Boomer lives!